Okay, today is July the 21st, 2011, and we'll prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. You know our SOP, moment of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you at any time, pour out our heart to you, depend on your wonderful promises, and recharge our spiritual batteries. We thank you for this time we have this evening that we can focus on your word. We pray that it will have a mighty work in us and that we will retain it and use it. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I Watch the news tonight. <laughs> well, it's no big thing. It's just the same old, same old. Uh, today is the official day that open gays can serve in the military. It's official now. Uh, the last um, rocket for the United States, the Challenger, uh, is that program is over, and now we're going to use the Soya Russian. Uh, missiles, uh, rockets to get us up into space. I think that's somewhat uh, ironic. If we're, most of us are old enough to remember the space race, and we were trying to beat them to space. Y'all remember the Sputnik, and but we got somebody on the moon, and then uh, now we're going to them to get to the space station. Uh, I think they might have a little ill will about the whole thing according to the price tag per ticket that they charge to go to the space station, they're charging us $60 million. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's per ticket. It might, be, I don't know, it might be two or three going or maybe just one going. See, if you've got three going, that's a real deal. That's just $20 million a piece. Anyhow, uh, <clears throat> oh, yes, uh, this is something that I also got today. In 1913, our national debt was $2.9 billion. And today it's $14.5 trillion. And if anybody can do the math very quickly, do you know what percent increase that is? Anybody want to venture a guess? <laughs> 400,000% increase. 400,000% increase in our debt since 1913. 1913, by the way, is when the Federal Reserve uh, came into being, and that's a major reason why we're $400,000, or excuse me, 400,000% <laughs> more in debt today. According to our U.S. debt clock, um, our unfunded liabilities now exceed $115 trillion. And each taxpayer is on the hook now for over a million dollars each. That staggers imagination, does it not? I don't think many people have that type of money. Uh, a few have it in pocket change. Um, one other quick thing. I, I'm going to... Sunday, I'm going to advise everyone about Israel My Glory. This is a fantastic magazine. And we have a sign-up sheet in the library that you can get it for free. 
And it's worth the price and double that. This is a tremendous issue. And one of the things, one of the things I like about it, I, I, I probably should just wait and tell you all this Sunday because you'll hear it again Sunday. I like the way it's laid out because you don't have to read but about a page for each article. It's short. Maybe a page and a half at the most. If you don't have time, do you have five or ten minutes just to get a, a blurb here or there? Um, I'm not going to read this except for maybe one or two sentences, but there is one article here, one page long. It says, Bowing to the Bad Guys. It's talking about the what they call detainees at Guantanamo Bay. And they are treating them with kid gloves now, so to speak. There's a picture, you, you, uh, I wish I'd have put it on the screen, of the camp. And, the, and the, there's a guard tower, and the American flag is facing out towards the outside. They're not allowed to face it on the inside because the detainees don't like to see it. And when it comes to the Koran, oh, just, this is just one little blurb. They handle the, the Koran like it's, well, you'll, just, you'll, you'll see. Only Muslim chaplains and Muslim interpreters can handle the holy book and only after putting on clean gloves in full view of detainees. The detailed rules require, these are the rules that we are putting on our own people, require U.S. Muslim personnel to use both hands when touching the Koran to signal respect and reverence and specify that the right hand has to be the primary one used to manipulate any part of the book due to the cultural associations with the left hand. The Koran should be treated like a fragile piece of delicate art. The Pentagon memo, this all came from a memo from the Pentagon, among other directives barred military police from touching the Koran. If, if a copy of the book was to be moved from a cell, the memo said it must be placed on a clean, dry detainee towel and then wrapped without turning it over at any time, Muslim chaplains must then ensure that it is not placed in any offensive area where, while transported. <clears throat> now, the, other, the flip side of this in this article is that there was a, a church that sent uh, a, a lot of Bibles over to Afghanistan in their language. And uh, another memo came down and said, this might offend the Muslims so they are not to be dispersed. And so what do you, what do, you do with them? Uh, you would think they would send them back to the churches. But I, I just got to read this one line. This is, it says, um, Fearing the Bibles would be viewed as encouraging conversions and would anger local Muslims, U.S. military confiscated and destroyed a lot of them. How they were destroyed was described by a Christian uh, broadcasting David Brody, quote, the Bibles were burned because the rules of the base say that all garbage is burned at the end of the day. You can see the contrast of what, what is happening here. Um, ask why the commanders did not return the Bibles to the sending church. The reply was that they might be sent to some other soldier and distributed, so they were burned instead. This is the situation confronting America at this time in our history. Our government treats the Koran with kid gloves but burns the Bible. It bows to Islamist terrorists for fear of reprisals 
but ignores Christians because we obviously don't riot in the streets, burn down buildings, and otherwise create may mayhem. This I've got double underlined here. A deplorable condition has crept into our society that tolerates or openly repudiates the faith among, upon which this nation was brought into being. At the center of the core values of most benevolent, unique of the most benevolent, unique, caring, sharing nation in world history is the Word of God. To belittle the book. And with increasing evidence, the people who have found life and true redemption through its message is no minor transgression. Anyway, that is what's going on. Just a little snippet of what we deal with on a daily basis. If you open your Bibles to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. <clears throat> We spent the entire time Tuesday night going over verses that encourage us not to give up on doing good. That is a, a huge encouragement for us, and it's one of the most debilitating things that happens to Christians is they just kind of wear out and they get tired and things become dull for them. This is verse 15. And yet do not regard... Well, no, excuse me, 14. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter... Well, where am I? Second Thessalonians chapter 3... Don't say she went not be admonished as any Is it 13? 13. Okay, there I am. I've been studying so much in these other verses. Okay. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. That's what we spent all the time on these verses. And if you weren't here or if you didn't get these down, I'm just going to give you the addresses real quick, okay? These are verses that will encourage anyone that has any ounce of desire to be good and faithful servants. Romans chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. James 5, 7 through 8. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. 2 Chronicles 4, 16 through 18. Hebrews 3, 6. Hebrews 3, 13 through 14. Hebrews 10, 35 through 39. And Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. If you have a computer and you're putting these books in there, or if you have a notebook, whatever it is, I would label that encouragement. Those are our encouragement verses. 
Now for verse 14. You can look on the board or in your Bible. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Strong words, these. If anyone does not obey, we have the two words here, ook, O-U-K, which is an adverb, and it means not, it means negative, and hupakuo, H-U-P-A-C-H-O-U-O. This is a verb, it's the present active indicative. It means to, these two together mean to refuse to follow instructions, to disobey, to not follow, to not be subject to, to not do what one says, or to carry out someone's orders, not to carry out someone's orders. You have a kuo, and that means to hear. It's not that they have, they're not hard of hearing. It's they act as if they don't hear. Uh, it's, it's, it's just obstinance, really. Then we have, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter. Again, we have Paul asserting his apostolic authority and emphasizing the importance of placing oneself under the right authority. There will always be false teachers who try to woo away believers from the truth. There will always be believers who submit to them. Always the case. It always has been. It always will be. There are a lot of slick-tongued, very articulate, very attractive false teachers. There are also... There are also those who are eclectics. They don't want to submit to any authority other than their own. They pick and choose from a variety of teachers what they will accept and what they will not accept. The following verses should be noted by such people. And you all pretty well know probably at least a, one or a few of these types. They don't need to go to church. They don't need a pastor. They don't need anybody to tell them anything they have a Bible, they can read it for themselves, and that's all they need. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. Paul is instructing believers as to what action is to be taken against such people. This is what he's continuing now. He's in giving instructions. This is what we are to do. Take special note of that person. And we have the Greek word, semioo, S-E-M-E-I-O-O. It's the present middle imperative. That means you are continue to do this. In fact, your entire life, your time here on earth as a believer, you are to take special note of certain people. The middle voice means it's to your benefit. You're going to be benefited by it. And who else is going to be benefited by it? The person you're taking note of. It's just like prayer. When you pray for somebody, pray for somebody, and several times in the New Testament it will tell us uh, to pray. And it will be in the middle voice in the imperative mood. The reason it's in the middle voice is because it's reflective. Reflexive. It means that we are benefited by our own action. We are benefited when we pray for other, uh, for other people. And, of course, the people we pray for are benefited. And it's the same thing with taking note. 
And this word, semio'o, it's a command. It means to take special note of, to mark someone. Only in the middle voice to note with the accusative in Second Thessalonians 3.14, meaning note someone for the purpose of not associating with. You don't associate. You're mark, in your own mind, you're marking, you're noting that person. This is someone that you are required per this command not to associate with them. Now, if, you're, if this person happens to be at a place where you work, if it's an employment, some place that you, uh, you, you can't help but uh, come in contact with them, that's one thing, but you don't socialize with them. Some would agree, or excuse me, some would allege that uh, marking or taking note of a person for the purpose of shunning them is unloving. Some would even say that it is sinful because it is judging another person. And they may quote <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. Can you see how the, the possibility of that taking place? And they will look at you, and who are you to judge someone else? This is done all the time. This is a very important part right here. We are not to set ourselves up as judges over other people. However, we must make judgments every day as to how we are to interact with other people. We must be discerning of other people in order to obey the Bible. How are we to obey that command that follows, that, that, that is, it's going to be a separate from them, if we are not allowed to make decisions and judgments about other people? We have to do it. You see, there's a difference between judging other people, setting yourself up as a judge, Passing judgment on them as if you are their superior, as if you have the right to do that. That's God's area of authority, not ours. But we do have to make judgments with regards to people to obey this command, don't we? saw a TV show one time. Uh, some of you, I know I said this before, so maybe you, you, some of you have uh, heard it, maybe some of you haven't is Marina Navatarola was a lesbian and she was a tennis player. And she was on Oprah years ago. And everybody was just celebrating. I mean, it was just sickening how uh, they just brought out in the open that she was a lesbian. Oh, isn't it wonderful how accepting people are? And yeah, what does your, your parents think about that? Oh, they just love me just like I am. And one poor Christian out there raised his hand and, and he said, uh, yes, what do you want? And he said... <laughs> Well, I just think it's wrong. That's not a, that ought not be a woman with a woman. And this Marina Navatarola just, she just flared up. And she says, that's a very unloving remark to make. And who are you to judge me? Doesn't the Bible say that you sh uh, judge not lest you be judged? And that poor guy went back. He just, this was on TV. I mean, made it even worse. And it wouldn't have been great if he could have said if he would have said, well, you know, in Second Thessalonians chapter four, uh, two, uh, 3, verse 14, says that we are not to associate with people that don't obey the commands that are given in the Word. And homosexuality, lesbianism, is abhorrent to God. And I'm not judging the person. We don't judge other people. 
but we have to make discernments as to how are we going to interact with them. We're no better than they are. We're sinners just like they are. And we're not setting ourselves up as a judge in that sense. But we are required by these verses to, what's the word again? Say me, oh, oh. Say me, oh, oh. That means that we are to not associate with them. And we have to make those distinctions. If we do not, we are hurting ourselves and we're hurting them as well. And do not associate with him. Here's a nice word for you. Sunanamigunium. <laughs> you try that one. Sunanamigunium. Umi. Umi. There you go. Sunanamigumi. S-U-N-A-N-A-M-I-G-N-U-M-I. Whew. It's a participle, and it's the present middle participle. You notice most of these are in the middle voice, meaning not associating with him is going to be reflexive back on yourself. I don't know what the percentage is. God knows what it is. But the percentage of people, believers, who obey this is very slim because they have been tainted by the political correctness of our society and that you should accept everyone without question. And if you're really loved the way the Bible says you should love, you'll accept anything. Isn't that way a lot of people think? A lot of believers think that way. Does this sound like what the Bible is saying? Sunana mignumi. I just had to break it down. Soon means together or with. Ana means on or upon. And mignumi means to mix together. To mix or mingle together. To have fellowship or to keep company with. Uh, what I didn't put a, a before that is the... I don't... You might check this out if you're... Uh, there, Vidal, is it, is it a, a uk or is it a may? It's got to have a negative in there. Yeah, well, the the one before it, isn't there a word before it? Ty? Well, the whole word, if it doesn't have a prefix, usually they have a prefix like may, M-E, or uk, O-U-K, means it's negative. But maybe this word is just negative in and of itself, not to have a fellowship. This is the second time in this chapter that Paul commanded believers to apply the doctrine of separation. It can be unpleasant to obey this command, and that is why some ignore it, but they are disobeying a direct command from God's word. A form of this doctrine was practiced in the Old Testament and those who ignored it would be severely disciplined. I've taught this doctrine of separation not that long ago, but I've never taught it with this aspect to it. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 4. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them, referring to pagans. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. 
For they will, here's the reason why, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you. Do you see the parallel <clears throat> with separating from uh, believers who have gotten out off course? If you, if you act as if everything is still fine, if you put the relationship above the Word of God, you're going to be in error. The Word of God and applying this, obeying this command is more important than any relationship. And that's where people fail. They put the relationship before what they should know to do with regards to the Word of God. Now, you don't have to be angry at these people. You, in fact, you ought to have a very loving, compassionate heart for them. You know what you're going to do if you have a real, loving, compassionate heart for these people? You're going to separate from them. You're going to give them the reason why. You can tell them, I am required to do this. Because it is an abomination to God. It is, it is totally unacceptable. And God commands me to do this to protect me and to help you see the seriousness of the error that you are into. So if you really are compassionate, that's what you're going to do. But everybody, doesn't everybody think just the opposite? If you have really love and a lot of compassion, then you're going to tell your homosexual friend or family member, well, I don't accept what, you, what you're doing, but I love you anyway, and so you can come on over to my house and bring your partner with you. And a lot of people think that's the loving thing to do. What you're doing is putting your stamp of approval on it as if it's no big deal. The way to show that it's a big deal according to what we're seeing in these verses is that you don't have anything to do with them anymore. And that can be hard. You may be close to someone and they come out of the closet. Or it could be a number of things that is totally unacceptable and you have to, you have to separate from them. Well, you don't have to, but if you don't, you're going to wish you did because you're in direct violation of a direct command from God. This is a, a quote from the Nelson Smith Bible, New King James uh, Study Bible. It says, quote, The first area of backsliding for people was their relationship with foreigners. Even though Chapter 9, verse 2 states that those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. The people once again allowed foreigners into the congregation. Relationships between the Jewish people and the foreigners in the land had caused them to violate God's commandment. And then it says, see, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13, uh, 33, so here we are. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Any of y'all have teenagers? I would put that on their bathroom mirror. You'd be sure they're going to see it there. 1 Corinthians 5.9 I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Well, for some people, that just wiped out all their friends. What are you to do? 
Or do you just not to associate with any of your friends anymore? What do you think? Thumbs up or down on that one? You don't associate with them. If they're immoral, they're going to drag you down. You have to make some new friends. You can make good friends, new friends. Deuteronomy 33, 22:10. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. <laughs> We're talking about getting close together, being associated, not to do it. Now, I don't know who would ever try that. I guess if a poor person back in the old days, all he had was a donkey and an ox, and he had tried to put them together, he probably wouldn't have to have this law tell him not to do it. Can you imagine what a mess that would be? Trying to plow. I've never plowed, you know, with a horse, and I've seen it done. But I, it, it looks like it's hard, and it's probably a lot harder than it looks. If you have a good mule or a good ox or something, but putting an ox and a donkey together and trying to plow? My donkey wouldn't like that. <laughs> they wouldn't like it either. No. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? That's an unbeliever. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God... As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I gave you the whole part because most of the time we just see, be ye not unequally yoked. I was going to exegete that. It's an un interesting word, this un uh, unequally yoked, but this is what we use for marriage usually. If you're, you're not to marry an unbeliever because you would be unequally yoked, it would be like an ox and a donkey trying to plow together. But it's not just in marriage, in anything. Why would you want to associate with someone that you have to tolerate things that you ought not have to. Remember that not too long ago we had a list of things that you should tolerate and things that you should not tolerate? You, don't, you do not tolerate immorality with other people. And that's a very appropriate thing to remember today because our society has become so ghastly immoral. Even on TV. Primetime TV is an insult. I don't think if I had a, a teenagers that I could watch half the show. Well, I don't watch them anyway, but even if I did. Uh, have any of you seen Saturday Night Live any time lately? Good. It was on, Somehow it was on one night when I was studying up. It comes on on Saturday night, I think about 11 o'clock, something like that. And I think Carrie was somewhere else. I was just... I was listening to it, and I don't get distracted. When I'm studying, I'm in a zone. You can have a parade march right through. I won't even notice that I'm here. But it was so lewd and crude 
and vulgar that I had to get up and turn it off. It was actually disturbing me because I, I thought, I, I didn't even see what I was going on, but I, hear, I heard what was going on. So, we don't want to be unequally yoked. We don't want to associate with people that are going to drag us down. How many times have you heard me say, you don't have a, uh, when you have a whole nice barrel of fresh apples and you put one rotten apple in there, what's going to happen? All that whole barrel of apples is not going to make that bad one good, is it? What's going to happen? Just the opposite. Just the, that's the way things are. So that he will be put to shame. The put to shame is intrepo, E-N-T-R-E-P-O. It's a verb, eris. This is the eris, passive subjunctive. In means in, of course, and trepo means to turn. It means to withdraw in shame. Invert, turn about, or back. It means to embarrass in the New Testament, to shame or put to shame. I was looking at this. I went on the, I was trying to make a connection with this word and entropy. You ever heard that word before? It, and it's, it's close, and it comes from, entropy comes from the Greek word in Trapia, and it, entropy means when something degenerates. It, it's, uh, it's part of the laws of thermodynamics. The world is not getting better, it's getting worse. It's grinding down, and that's one word for that is in uh, entropy, and this is close in the Greek, is entrepo, and it, it means to, to turn, but to, to withdraw, to invert, to get, essentially get worse. But in our word, it means to embarrass or put to shame. The purpose of this social ostracism was to make the offender feel ashamed of himself so that he would repent. It just makes such a good example when today we have so many people coming out of the closet. You know what that means. How are they going to feel ashamed? How are they going to see that they are doing something that is abhorrent to God if everybody's celebrating it? If everybody's patting, on, patting them on the back. Oh, you have so much courage. Look at you. You came out. Well, what kind of courage does it take to come out of the closet now? Because all they're going to do is be celebrated. They're going to fall over themselves to give them special leeway. Here's the term ostracism. Ostracism, exclusion by general consent from common privileges or social acceptance. Does that sound, are any of you having a hard time with this? Because we talk about unconditional love and we are to love people unconditionally. Even if there are people who are in all sorts of immorality, all types of degeneracy, we are to continue to love them. But to continue to love them does not mean that we have to accept nor embrace their aberrant lifestyle. That's where a lot of people get mixed up. If you truly love them, if you have true compassion for them, you're going to do what God says here. You're going to separate from them. And I wouldn't just separate and just then wonder, well, why, why don't I ever see this person anymore? If you're close enough to that person, I think it would behoove all of us in that situation to tell them, you know, I care a lot about you. 
you're still, I, I still think, you know, I have a, a relationship with you that I wouldn't like to break, but I have to. God commands me to do it because what you're doing needs to be so highlighted that you'll see the, the error in it. Something, you know, whatever your words are, for them to understand and to be put to shame. That's the problem. Do you know anybody that's ashamed anymore? I don't see very much shame. I, well, I should say, I see things to be sh that should be ashamed of, people who should be ashamed of, but I don't see the shame. There was a time when young girls used to blush. When was the last time you saw any young girls blushing? Last time I went down the river, the Comal River, on inner tubes, there was more girls there than there were guys. And what I was astounded as the language and the tattoos. The girls, I, I just I didn't sit out and count tattoos, but it wound up that's what I was doing. I saw so many tattoos on these gals, I said, this is inordinate. Tattoos and bad language does not equal a young girl blushing. I'm afraid that era is just about gone except for a very precious few. Innocence is all but lost. And you don't even have to go looking for it. All you have to do is listen to the music, go to the movies, watch TV. Is lost. And there needs to be, and here's one of the problems, their children from these others, it's not an easy. But as old fogey. Second Thessalonians 15, yet, that is not a do there. It is, but that's a do. Uh, regard, regard phrase is a conditional or unconditional fund of carnality. Hey, against them, we must remember that we are to do as something that is not thoughtful or turn on our unconditional love. After 6, verse 1, Brethren, even if any, any who is spiritual restores such a one in the spirit of 12, being alone, lying on every one of us individually as believers to have gotten into trust and to know that person and to restore it. It says in the spirit, restore go and whack him over the head with a two-by-four and say, wake up. You're trying to show your love. You're trying to show, I don't want to have to separate from you. I don't want you to get God's discipline upon you. But admonish him as a brother. We don't hear the word. What does the word admonish mean? Here the word is nutheteo, N-O-U-T-H-E-T-E-O. And it is a present active imperative. You to keep doing it. It's a command. It means to warn, admonish, exhort, to counsel about avoidance or cessation of improper course or of conduct. That is the definition for that Greek word. In our English dictionary, we have admonish means to caution, advise, or counsel against something, to reprove or scold, especially in a mild Look at this, and good-willed manner. Here's an example. The teacher admonished him about excessive noise. 
The third example is to urge to a duty, remind to admonish them about their obligations. So it's not in-your-face type of rebuke. It's, it's kind of a counsel. It's kind of an encouraging thing. Here we have two, two scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now this is in his earlier epistle. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. You hear that? Admonish. Counsel them. Warn them. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. <laughs> if all those first things didn't get you, that last one will, won't it? Huh? <laughs> I mean, you're sitting there thinking, okay, let's see. Admonish them. I think I can handle that. Encourage the faint-hearted. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I think I could do that. Help the weak. Yeah, I, I, be patient with everyone. <laughs> have to have that one in there. Romans 5:14, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Am I looking at a group that can do that? Hmm? This is Paul writing to the Romans. He was convinced. Now, before he says that they were ready to admonish who? One another. So this is what we... It has to be one another. We all have relationships intermingled all over the place. We're all connected somehow. And when something goes awry, we have to be able to admonish. What does admonish mean? It means to counsel. It means to warn. It kind of means to encourage. It's not rebuke. It's just kind of a help there. But before you can do that, he says, I'm convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. We might say full of doctrine. Filled with what? All knowledge. We might say has doctrine. And able to admonish. See, if, you, if, you have, if you're good if you are filled with knowledge, then you're qualified to admonish one another. Not only are you qualified, indeed, we are required to do so. When was the, I don't want to know any of this. I'm just, this is a rhetorical question. When was the last time you admonished someone? It's, it's, it's kind of a sticky wicket. You don't want to act as if you're superior or better than someone else. But relationships sometimes wane. Sometimes they go on, they just suffer because no one is admonishing anyone else. We just accept anything from anybody. Except if it gets too bad, what we'll do is go behind their back and talk to other people. Oh, you know, it's only, oh, there's the monster over there. And we'll try to set up a little conspiracy to, really, conspiracy to undermine them. But what this says, go and admonish them. Counsel them, warn them, and do it in love and gentleness. Remember that? That's what we all are required to do. I think that I'm going to throw out the anchor here. That before we start the verse 16, we'll do that next time. You see, what we're looking at in these verses is so contrary to where 
to the way that our society operates today. Again, I say that our society operates in such a fashion that if you really love someone, you will tolerate anything. You will accept anything. And anyone who rises up and says, that I will not tolerate, that I will have nothing to do with, then you are close-minded, you are hateful, you are unloving, you're certainly not acting like a Christian, and you're probably judging. But we have to, if we get those slings and arrows at us, so be it. We have to obey the command, and in doing so, just remember this, the middle voice, what does the middle voice mean? It's going to benefit you, and it's going to benefit the person that you're separating from. But let me say the last word here, a cautionary note. Don't ever do it in anger or you ruin the whole deal. There cannot be any anger there whatsoever. You do it in anger and it has no effect on them. Not for the good anyway. They'll just want to retaliate. You have to be gentle. You have to be loving. You have to pray for yourself and for them before you do it. Do it in trembling if necessary. But if they say something ugly and they attack you, the only way that it's going to be effective is that there is not an ounce of anger or vindictiveness in you. Then the Holy Spirit can go to work. Let's close. Father, we're so thankful for these practical instructions as to how to handle these issues. Even among fellow believers, we have to admonish from time to time. And unfortunately, even sometimes there are circumstances whereby we are called on to separate. It's not something pleasant. It's not something that we would like to do, but it's something that we are called on to do. So, so many people put their own emotional well-being before your command, and it hurts everyone. So we pray that you will help us to Think about these things to where we can be prepared. And if we are called on to, to obey this command, that we will do it in gentleness and love and restore a fellow believer. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.